What's up, Loghorn fans? Welcome to another edition, another Monday edition of our instant reaction to Steve Sarkeesian's presser. This one post-Kansas State, pre-TCU. It is a big three-game stretch for the Longhorns, season-defining stretch. And as always, I am joined by the great Joe Cook of InsideTexas.com. Joe, thank you as always for the time. You were hanging out at the presser today, asking some really good questions, also speaking with players afterwards as well. And uh, I would assume that it was uh, generally a positive mood at the press conference considering the big win from Saturday night. But it's also uh, very businesslike, too, because you got to have a short memory considering that next game on the schedule. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good way to put it. They were, uh, you know, I think in recent times there's been occasions where they would win a game like this. And, uh, you know, we as the beat media would maybe not intentionally, but kind of blow smoke and say, oh, wow, y'all are y'all are doing well, not not out of any sort of, you know, ulterior motive, but just that's, that's how it works. And I think everybody, even on the media side, recognized that this team knows that what's coming this Saturday uh, in TCU in a top five team, uh, you know, a first a chance at a first top five win for Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, first top five win for Texas, I think at home since uh, 1999. So uh, there wasn't much of that. You're right. It was very businesslike and they seemed to know that you know what they described as a great week of practice last week they're gonna have to repeat that if they want to beat what's you know at least by the rankings and even by the record a better team in tcu than than kansas state was this is a total side note here but did you ever learn who that top five opponent was was it nebraska in 1999 let's see i well wouldn't nebraska have been in the off year so or even years so maybe it was maybe it was case no because this is an even year i was about to say maybe it's case day oh maybe it was an aggie team no because that was 98 i don't know who it could have been maybe what i wonder who that was you let me see who that is right now i'm pulling it up right now i don't even know the non-conference schedule for texas that year um so let's see if i can beat you to it 1999, of course, that's Mac Brown's second year. That's in the thick of the major versus Sims era, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure was a lot of fun to discuss. Um, it de- Oh, I don't know. I don't know who it would have been looking at the AP poll. I've got the answer for you. Joe, every once in a while, a blind squirrel finds a nut. And this week, that blind squirrel is me. It was, in fact, Nebraska. They were number three when they came into Austin on October 23rd, 1999. Now, remember, Uh that was the year that Nebraska gained retribution. One of the few times Nebraska beat Texas while both teams were in the Big 12. They beat them in the Big 12 championship game that year in San Antonio. I was at that game. It was a miserable game to be at. And uh, I think that was the year that Sean Watson was maybe yelling things at Major Applewhite on the sideline, or was that the Colorado game? Anyhow, Nebraska beat Texas in the Big 12 championship game that year, but Texas won the regular season matchup when the Huskers were the number three team in the country. That makes sense. And that was part of, that's kind of the beginning of the end of the, the prime time then, because, uh, you know, they went to the Rose Bowl, got shellacked in 01, and then. They weren't the same since then. They were still good in those aughts, but they weren't ever anything the same. But yeah, that was when they were the powerhouse and definitely a worthy team of having a top five ranking. But it's been that long. And 
you know, that's the other thing. And it's never really been a team like, I don't, I mean, I know they used to play TCU all the time in the Southwest conference days. And I know that since TCU joined the big 12, uh, they haven't, you know, they've been pretty darn good and they've been pretty darn good in Austin. I don't know if they've been number three good or four good while in Austin, maybe that one year in 2014, uh, they, they approached it, but, um, I don't know if they've ever been this highly ranked heading into Austin. No, this is a huge year for them, an unexpected year, too, for that matter. I know we've talked a little bit about it over these last couple of weeks. TCU was looked at as, at a team that, that was kind of middle of the pack this year. It was going to be year one for Sonny Dykes, and he might be able to build something good eventually. I just think we underestimated what Mike's, uh, Max Duggan might become in his final year of eligibility in Fort Worth. And then TCU always has a slew of playmakers in the backfield, as you just mentioned, with Kendra Miller but also a wide receiving core that always seems to have two or three guys that can uh, break one off at any second. And if anything, the defense might be a little bit down this year, even though they do have some playmakers on that side, that's a, that's the weaker of the two sides of the ball right now. Yeah. Uh, Gary Patterson, you know, he felt like it was his time to, to leave that program. Uh, but even so he left a very experienced program for Sonny Dykes for Garrett Riley, the defensive coordinator's name escapes me right now. Uh, to where even, you know, Max Duggan didn't win the starting job this year. It was Chandler Morris to start. So they have a backup quarterback who was able to do well. They have an experienced offensive line, um, a, a, a talented receiver core led by, we'll see if he plays Quentin Johnston. And even the uh, loss of Zach Evans to TCU or to Ole Miss, that didn't seem to affect them too much as they have Kendry Miller step up, like you mentioned. So um, you know, there have been times when teams get decimated by the portal whenever coaching changes occur. That didn't happen in, in Fort Worth. And uh, Sonny Dykes has done a very good job to very much reap the benefits of that all the way to this, their undefeated record at this point in November. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So it took one question for somebody to ask, and look, it's a totally fair question. It's TCU week, Gary Patterson, that I'm still having a hard time getting used to him wearing longhorn garb on the sidelines on Saturdays, is facing his former team, uh, a team and a program that has literally built a statue for the guy, considering how much he meant to that school prior to his departure in the middle of last season. And uh, no doubt he has had this game circled all year long because one, he gets to say hello and uh, give hugs to a lot of people that he has cared about for a number of years. But two, uh, he was a guy that, that was essentially asked to leave last year because the program for a couple of years had not been headed in the right direction. How much do you think this does mean to Gary Patterson, considering that uh, he is a guy that's obviously very focused on the task at hand? He has done a great job of helping uh, Pete Kwiatkowski and these defensive coaches come up with game plans week in and week out. And maybe he can add a, a little bit of extra information in terms of what the TCU offense brings to the table. But uh, this is also another game for him. And he understands that win or lose against TCU, you still have two more important games. And more than anything else, because Texas is in the driver's seat right now with regards to making it to that Big 12 championship game, you can't 
put too much emotion into any one game right now. I think I think it's just kind of a, what they've been talking about. It's a Saturday night game in prime time at home. And I think if you look at it that way and give it that much importance, that's the right approach to it. You have to respect the team that's coming in. Um, and if you're Gary Patterson, you know, you try to make sure that your job doesn't change, that you see a team on the other side that just happens to be wearing purple and black, that you have to, you know, find their strengths, find their weaknesses and, and help uh, the coaching staff in that area. But you're right. It does so happen that that's where he spent 20 years. I have a statue there from him. Um, but that could help too. I mean, he could be able to go up to, let's say, Bo Davis and say, you know, that left tackle they got, we try to teach him this step 30 times and he never got it. Now, maybe something on film indicates that Sonny Dykes and his crew have been able to rectify that, but that could be something that Gary Patterson remembers very specifically from all his individual interactions to where that probably helps a little bit more now that Texas is facing the Horned Frogs. You know, he could go... Uh, and watch maybe somebody in their secondary cord say, you know, we try to teach this coverage to him all the time. And, uh, you know, they they run a similar coverage now, but he, he just couldn't get this key. Like if the running back went there and the wide receiver went there, he never got it right. And again, they'd have to check with the film to see if that holds up. But that's maybe some of the extra stuff that Gary Patterson could offer to Steve Sarkeesian, to Pete Kwiatkowski and others this, this week as compared to, you know, other teams on the schedule, in addition to just his own, you know, very much his regular, uh, you know, game planning um, and other scouting responsibilities that he has. But, you know, one of the big things about Gary Patterson, he always mentioned was that 40, not four. He'd always try to mention that when he was at TCU, going to TCU would be a 40 year decision and not a four year decision or anything like that. So, you know, that means that he built a lot of relationships with players past. And of course, a lot of the ones who were still there uh, and, and still playing in, in purple and white. And so I bet they try so hard to make sure that type of thing only comes up after the game or, you know, once everything's said and done. But, man, it, it's in, I feel like it's got to be nearly impossible for him to just be ignoring that, if not trying to, uh, you know, keep it out of his mind. No doubt about that. You uh, typically get to ask at least one or two questions of Steve Sarkeesian each and every week, and uh, you always do a great job with that. And I think you asked what is far and away the best question this week, in part because it elicited such an interesting answer from Steve Sarkeesian. had to do with defensive metrics. So what exactly did you ask him, and what insight did he provide you in return? So I think if you watched uh, Texas football in the past couple of years, you, you, you've seen that the Horns give up a good amount of yards. Um, they, they aren't, you know, one of the top like 20 teams and allowing total yards or anything like that. Um, but they, I mean, and it, and it can get frustrating still, they don't really get blown out by opponents. Uh, they don't give up a ton of points, like despite giving up total yards, um, and ranking, I think 74th or something like that right now, uh, they're in the top 25, maybe even the top 30 of scoring defense. So, but that's all, you know, what that shows is that both those statistics kind of lie a little bit. You can't get the full picture from looking at total defense uh, and scoring defense because, you know, their they're number, that's just such a wide discrepancy. So I was really curious what Steve Sarkeesian and then as a result, Pete Kwiatkowski values, uh, maybe not met, or metrics wise, yes, metrics wise, when looking at, um, you know, what's important on defense. And he said yards per play. 
Um, and that makes sense because what yards per play indicates is just, you know, how much a, a team is, is getting on a certain play. And you have to remember, let's say you're a team giving up four yards per play. Yeah, three times four is 12. Uh, but sometimes it's 10 and then sometimes it's zero and then sometimes it's one or something like that. So uh, if you have a team, I don't know what the right sweet spot is. I'm pretty sure under four uh, is fantastic. And I think under four and a half is, is good. Um, that That's uh, something that they want to strive for. I think I, I need to do a little bit better research on that. Uh, but if you if you look at yards per play and it's up there, that means you're also giving up explosive plays. That was step two. That's what Texas is good at. They gave up, I think, a couple, uh, maybe even just one that long Malik Knowles touched or uh, 65 yard pass, I think, with a bunch of different um, uh, missed tackles on there. That's what they value a lot. And I think that's what Pete Kwiatkowski really values a lot is like, look, if you're going to have to work down the field, that means you're going to have to be right on 10 straight plays or 10 out of 13 plays. Uh, we're not going to let you get that one um, instead of, you know, having to move the ball down the field. And of course, as we very well see, there are trade-offs there. Um, and not all of them have been in Texas favor, but typically not allowing explosive plays is big. Other ones he said, turnovers, that's obvious. Third down, that's obvious. Uh, red zone efficiency, um, it wasn't just red zone efficiency because if you have – this is what Steve Sarkeesian said. If you go 19 for 20 in the red zone, yeah, that's what, 95%, something like that? Uh, but, right, nine times five, yeah, something like that. That's still – that's really high. But if you only score eight touchdowns, you're leaving a ton of points on the field. So he looks at uh, touchdown in, touchdowns in the red zone efficiency uh, and then finally sacks. So – um, it was interesting to see, you know, what he really thinks is the important stuff on defense. Um, I think you'll always hear a lot of different head coaches talk about how they like to hire coordinators who are good at stopping what they like to do. Well, let's think about Steve Sarkeesian's offense. They run the ball to set up play action passes and explosive plays. What's Texas defense really good at doing? running the ball or stopping the run and limiting pretty explosive plays. Cause you, so you can kind of see the interplay between Pete Kwiatkowski and Steve Sarkeesian there. What does it mean for the weaknesses though? I think we've also seen some of that play out between both coordinators or play callers a lot this year. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Yeah, and Steve Sarkeesian in talking about sacks also mentioned quarterback hurries and this team... Now, I need to knock on some wood here, but at least this last game, that was one of their best games this year with regards to getting pressure on the quarterback. You could maybe say that the Oklahoma game was the best game, but you also kind of have to throw that game out too. If the defensive line has taken that step to go along with how stout they are up the middle because Deuce Vaughn had no running room on Saturday night, that's going to go that's going to bode very well for the last three games of the regular season, the possibility of a big 12 championship game and the bowl game after that. Yeah. Especially with who's on that schedule. I mean, you got Kendra Miller and Max Duggan this week. Uh, you have maybe Jalen Daniels coming back next week, but Jason Bean's pretty good. 
yeah. with with regards to the Jayhawks as well. And then you got Richard Reese, who's been a, a you know just a revelation in Waco. So you got a lot of good rushers coming up, decent offensive lines and/or schemes that you're going to have to face. So stopping that run is going to be extremely important. And you're right, you know Deuce got his hundred something yards of total offense, uh, and a lot of it came through the underneath pass game where you know he's just basically the the release valve, and that's a great release valve to have. But he didn't really get to do a whole lot of uh, stuff through the tackles, and I think you can really credit that whole Texas defensive line for being able to get that done on Saturday against the Kansas State Wildcats. How special a season is Jalen Ford putting together right now? He uh, was just named a Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week. I didn't realize this until Sark, uh, Sark talked about it. He is leading the conference in tackles right now. I think he's also leading the conference in forced fumbles. He's second in interceptions. And speaking of those turnovers, it's almost like he is always timely with when uh, he is collecting those turnovers and pivotal moments of the games. And once again, uh, that reared its beautiful head in Manhattan on Saturday night. It's about effort, and you can always tell that he gives effort. He also knows where to be. Um, I think that's that's something that's very valuable because, I, I mean, all these guys are fantastic athletes, but I don't know if he's the most super athletic guy there is at the middle linebacker spot but he knows where to be kind of reveals hey if you see a utah offer go out in texas you might want to pay attention there uh that was a i think a 2019 or 2020 flip that really proved valuable uh for the longhorns uh and as we've seen this year but yeah he's been awesome he's all over the field it's amazing to think that 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 leading the tackle uh leading the st- the conference and tackles that's after putting together an offer against UL Monroe, which I don't know how you do that as a middle linebacker. Um, I feel like that's almost like trying to find where not to be. But ever since then, from Bama to uh, UTSA and, and on, on from the rest of those games, he's been all over the field and not just making tackles. He's, he's punching the ball out. He's making interceptions. If it wasn't for that interception – Texas doesn't get that late score from that late half score from Xavier Worthy mm-hmm. uh, and limit Kansas State from going down the field and doing the same when they're going to get the ball back after halftime. So he's been tremendously important. Um, it's why he's probably on the field as much as anybody on this team. And, uh, you know, it's been the, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week honors were extremely well deserved. While we are celebrating the Kansas State win and uh, looking ahead to TCU, we certainly do need to talk a little bit about the offense once again struggling in the second half. And defense gave up some points in the second half. Fortunately, they had built up a big enough lead uh, by that point going into halftime that uh, Kansas State didn't have quite enough. But once again, Joe and Steve Sarkeesian talked about this. A lot of it has to do with Texas doing things to themselves, shooting themselves in the foot at times, and oftentimes it has to do with pre-snap penalties, sometimes multiple pre-snap penalties in the same drive. And once you end up too far behind the eight ball like that, uh, it's very difficult to recover. And that's a big reason why you saw Texas only get three points on the board in the second half on Saturday. Yeah, second and 15, it's no matter who you got on the field, it's tough. I was kind of thinking about this today and just wondering, you know, maybe this is something that he has to get used to Um at Texas with the way this team is currently form formulated. We all know that I think next year, that offensive line, it's pretty good right now and has only gotten better. It's going to be, I'm willing to say it's going to be great next year and probably one of the tops in the conference, Mm -hmm. but it's not that quite yet. 
And so when you're asking guys to block for a running back, though talented, who everybody knows is going to get the ball, it's tough. So I'm not saying that Steve Sarkeesian needs to start passing the ball during a lot more during those uh, those second halves. Yeah, I think you mix that in. I think he's just got to be variant in his run game because when it came down to that, uh, the the I think the last offensive series Texas had where if they get a first down, it's pretty much game over. But if not, the ball goes back to Kansas State. There wasn't much imagination on those run plays. There really wasn't. So that's a again that may be a little bit of a separate issue, but it was just all right. Here you go, go get them. Um, but of course, like you mentioned, not making them those mistakes, not holding. Uh, that's got not committing false starts, and that's tough on the road. That's got to be what the next step that this offensive line takes because they've definitely taken a lot of really good steps throughout the course of this season. Uh, but for that next one, it's got to be keeping themselves, you know, in front of the sticks, helping Bijan out. Um, and then I think just with Steve Sarkeesian throwing some variants in that in that run game, even if it includes some intermediate passes, trust that guy you went in the portal to go get to uh, throw the ball. Maybe you know the the slants, the RPOs, stuff like that. Keep that defense a little bit uh, off balance because if not, then you know you're going to see stuff like that series where it's just all right, B gap, all right, B gap, and most teams are going to be able to stop that. Yes, they are. Was the third down play on that drive? Was that the uh, the quick pitch to Bijan to the right? Yep, they went to the well on that again because the first time it on the near side, it that's the one where Hayden Connor was running up the sidelines yeah. and Bijan goes sixty. I'm not a big fan of short side pitches because no. you tremendously limit the amount of room you have to work with. Uh, but it wouldn't have mattered there how much room they had because that uh, Kansas State defensive player was in the backfield like that. Yes, they did. All right, you always have a chance on Mondays to speak with a couple different players as well. Who'd you get a chance to catch up with this week, and uh, what stands out to you about those conversations? Yeah, for the first time, I think, since he's uh, been at Texas, we got to talk to Ryan Watts Hmm. um, and just find out a lot of the reason why, you know, he decided to leave Ohio State, what's about, what's important to his game, what's important to him, and other things uh, like that. And he talked about how at Ohio State, his his mental health really struggled um and it had to he thought it was just homesickness and as his time went on he's like look i'm i'm homesick i'm away from my family i'm not happy here it affected his grades it affected his play on the field it affected everything so he decided you know i'm gonna find a place in the portal um he texas was pretty short order his selection um not only because of being closer to home uh, but also because of a relationship with Terry Joseph, who recruited him when he was at Notre Dame, also with Jeff Banks and Steve Sarkeesian from when they're at Alabama. So that's kind of the backstory on him coming from Ohio State to Texas, even though he still referred to Michigan as that team up north or at school up north. So there's still some Buckeye left in him. Uh, but he was talking about, you know, just what it means to be a, a corner in this conference. Um uh, there's probably a lot of coaches around the nation who would say, yep, you're playing safety. Uh, but he is stuck at corner and he's done a phenomenal job. I think PFF had him as one of the higher rated players from Texas's win this past week. It's tough to get anything past him if you're lined up against him on the boundary. And that's been pretty much true for any of the corners who have played there this week. Uh, he, he mentioned that you know, the, the bumps and bruises he's had over the course of the season. One was a, he, he called it a nerve. So I guess it's a stinger from the Iowa state game. 
uh, sounded like a hammy uh, from the the uh, Oklahoma State game. Says he's feeling a lot better. Gave a lot of credit to the the training staff, but you know it was good to finally talk to him because that's the first time we have, and he's been as an important piece of this Texas defense for the entire season. Anything else uh, from uh, Quinn Ewers or I know Keandre Coburn was out there as well. Uh, anybody else that uh, that jumps out? Yeah, with with Keandre Coburn, I think one of the things that uh, Steve Sarkeesian mentioned was, you know, Keandre thought about going to the NFL. He's uh, what that would have been his 2018, 19, 2021. I think he was a redshirt junior last year, but a fourth year redshirt junior uh, came back for his fifth season. And he thought about going to the NFL and he'll probably be a good NFL player at this point. But one of the things Steve Sarkeesian and as a result, Bo Davis spoke with him about was saying, hey, you have to improve on your pass rush. And I think everybody knew that. And I think Keandre knew that too. And he dedicated himself. And now, as you saw at the end of the game, he made the pass rush play that that sealed the deal for Texas. And he's been one of the best defensive linemen in this conference. I don't know if you know he's making just these extreme wow plays time and time again. But man, if I'm a guard or a center, in this league, I, I don't want to go up against 99 because he's having one of the best years he's had in his career and one of the best years from a defensive lineman we've seen in in several years. So um, it was good to hear that, the effect Bo Davis has had on him and just how much he cares about this program. That's someone who you can tell bleeds burnt orange a, a lot, and uh, it's been fun to see how how much he's improved this season. Uh, the other one was, was Jalen Ford. It's kind of funny. So Jalen Ford, who went to Frisco Lone Star, uh, had a relationship with with uh, Ryan Watts, who went to Little Elm. And, mm. you know, I'm not from the, the Metroplex, but apparently that's a pretty big rivalry. And Ryan Watts didn't really want to talk about what happened their senior year. Jalen Ford was more than ready to talk mm. about what happened uh, during their senior year. So I guess that sounded like a big win for uh, Lone Star. But, he, you know, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week, he had a couple of his teammates were asked, like, do you think Jalen's the best defensive player in this conference? And he said, oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, he's he's humble. Uh, he's not going to brag on himself like that. But, um, you know, he, he talked a little bit about just how much work he's had to put in this year to be the stalwart on defense he's become. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that he is uh, in line right now to uh, be on the all Big 12 first team. And there's a chance that he ends up as – uh, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Still plenty of more football that needs to be played before we get to that point. And, of course, Joe Cook and I will be talking about it every Monday following Steve Sarkeesian's presser. You can check Joe out at InsideTexas.com and, of course, on the On Texas Football YouTube channel. If you like today's episode, click that thumbs up button and do make sure to subscribe to On Texas Football. For Joe Cook, I'm Trey Elling. We will talk to you next Monday. In the meantime, have yourselves a phenomenal week and hook them.